Hello, and welcome to Baha'i Blogcast with me, your host, Rain Wilson. This is where I interview members of the Baha'i faith and other friends from all over the world about their hearts and minds and souls, their spiritual journeys, what they're interested in, and what makes them tick. Enjoy. Hello there, it's me, Rain Wilson. You're listening to Baha'i Blogcast. And, oh man, I'm so psyched to be sitting in the kitchen <laughs> of Asia and Andy Grammer. Not Asia Grammer, though, right? Well, actually, my bills all say Asia Grammer. Oh, okay, yeah. good. But I mostly just go by Asia. Um, I love that you have bills. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, everybody's got bills. Yeah, we got bills to pay. Yeah. Um, two uh, musicians and, uh, and Baha'is, and I'd love to have a conversation with them. Thanks for having me in your kitchen. I know we've got a couple of stray dogs wandering around here. Can you tell the listeners about the, the dogs <laughs> in the background? Well, one of them belongs to us, and one of them belongs to our brother-in-law we are dog-sitting for. But we, we do a lot of dog rescue, so there's you can often find a myriad of animals wandering through the halls. Dog, especially dogs. Dogs are the best. Yeah. But who's, what's his name again? His yeah. name is Costas. And Costas. he's a rather large pit Maybe he's an enormous neurotic pit bull. Like oh, I've neurotic pit bull. He's like, he has the mentality of a small chihuahua, but he's large. It's like he wants to crawl inside of you <laughs> yeah. and live there. He he's feels safe. safe I gave him a big bath this morning, and Asia was taking pictures of me through the glass with this enormous animal in the shower. <laughs> I don't think that's fair. That's not, that's not fair game. And then who's the other naughty little one? That's Lucy. She's our French bulldog, and she's... Super indignant, but really cute. Just the best. She's adorable, but I notice that you're like, Lucy, come, and she, ha- she runs the opposite She's direction. She's like, nah, I'm no. good, thanks. She's a rebel. Only when she wants. So Andy Grammer, uh, uh, you guys probably don't need any introduction to. He's a multi-platinum selling recording artist, and uh, I do covers of your songs, Andy. I'm sure you've heard me sing them before. <laughs> oh, on YouTube, yeah, I've heard really good, really good, really good stuff. <laughs> And Asia is a recording artist, songwriter, and actress, and among other things. Wait, you have some kind of midwifery background. I do doula work. Um, as What's the difference between a doula and a midwife? So a doula is, is more of like a emotional, spiritual coach through your birth. Yeah. A midwife has medical training. Okay. I have medical, like, certification but not like I yeah, let's had see to it. Pass. let me see your certificate yeah. <laughs> I haven't had to pass legal tests about you know how to give someone blood or whatever right yeah okay that's great I'm your like I'm your birth coach I'm your birth manager. coach so you hold the hand and you're like push push yeah and I'm also like you know when the doctor comes in and is like we're gonna give you this I'm like uh let me explain what that drug does to you before I like inter- help right. intervene, protect. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. It's pretty cool. We actually had a birth in, in here in this kitchen, right there. That's disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, our good friends Jamie and Natasha had their baby right there. Yes. Okay, Insane. we can't say that. I don't. I don't think we could say that. Why? What are you crazy? I don't know if we could say their names. Hey, first of all. None of this. None of the like. I don't cut, know. Cut the stuff. But I don't know if she I. Made this is cut. open to the people. <laughs> she made a what cut. This is a straight line her, to the throat. ears. There's going to be no cutting. You're going to get the real deal here on I the think, blog. Test. I don't think we can say Jamie Heath you can't, and you Natasha can't. 
Hugger, Heath. We can say and whatever we want about them. I'm Are you kidding me? We can say their names. Oh my yeah. God, definitely. Yeah, we'll, yeah. Get, we'll get their permission. No, we won't. Good. We'll just put it up. How did that go? How did their birth go? It was incredible. She's such a warrior. She's like the strongest woman. Yeah, she did a natural childbirth. It was awesome. In here, we like, you know, tried to help her and she, yeah, she, she did, did the damn thing. Yeah, and then there was like, just in our little nook here, there's a baby that's like five minutes old. It was incredible. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I know what it's like to give birth because once I broke my little finger and I had to wait in the emergency room for like 45 minutes before they would set it. So I just feel like... It was yeah. really like I feel like I know, I know what <laughs> that's tough. like, you it know? Hard, yeah. Um, so uh, what's going on? How did you guys meet? You take it. Um, we met at music school. I was... A music industry major. You were a jazz vocalist major. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we kind of saw each other briefly through in the hallways and stuff. And then um, I was rooming with this guy, Drew DeCaro, who's an incredible guitarist, who's now out with uh, Miguel, who's awesome. And uh, he, we were trying to start a band, and then we went and met her because we were trying to steal her bass player. So we went to her first her rehearsal and like tried to steal. Andy showed up to my band rehearsal and was like scoping out my musicians and you know rehearsals is the place where you kind of make your mistakes and it's like mm -hmm. safe zone and he came in and I was like yeah can I help you with something and he's like oh I'm just hanging out I'm just friends with yeah. I was like um well this isn't like a hangout space we're working right now so yeah it was a little bit tense. So that's the that's the crappy kind of intense version. But he of how did that. end up stealing my bass player. And then the other, the true version. So, so then we were just kind of friends and acquaintances for a while. And then my mom passed away. And I started doing this thing called Kathy Grams on YouTube. Because there's that quote from the Baha'i Faith. I forget exactly what it is. This is what I should have. I should have it all ready to go. Yeah. But the idea that it, you, a good deed done in the honor of someone who's passed away yeah. helps yeah. them or pushes them forward. Yeah. So one of the ways that I tried to process my mom's death was doing these things. I'd be out at shows and I would tell people, hey, like, if you have something going on or you know somebody who does, I'm going to start doing these cathygrams. I'm going to write these quick, really fast songs and I'll YouTube them to you. And so people would send me, uh, oh, my daughter... Uh, ran, she, she doesn't have any arms and she does everything with her feet and now because she's done that she has a back issue and she's going in for surgery could you write her this song and it would just be like oh my god it's like a Tuesday morning and now I have to write which I said I would and I'm, I'm happy to do it <laughs> so then I was but I, I did it really fast I was like we got your back till you get your back back and just sent it off real quick and I was doing a lot of those and it was really really wonderful and she saw that so then she randomly uh was doing so at this time i was going to music school with him and i was doing nanny work because i've always i like children and i do a lot of stuff with kids so i was a nanny and one of the families that i nannied for gave my phone number to uh an actor and he, i guess i shouldn't say his name they gave my phone number to an actor and the actor was like hey i'm going to film a movie and I'm going to be out of town for a few months. My father isn't doing well. He's on, you know, the edge of his, he's fighting for his life. And would you, my friend told me that you're really nurturing with their kids. Could I pay you to like hang out with him as he's like transitioning? Wow, that's intense. Yeah. Super heavy. So, and he's in the hospital. He's got nurses and stuff. I just want someone to like kind of hang out with him and like keep his spirits up and play chess and. 
So I was hanging out with this guy um, every day in the hospital, and he was totally coherent and um, founded one of the major, like, improv companies in Los Angeles. So he was hilarious. It was, like, really good timing. (laughs) He was fun. And we just watched the SAG screeners and were, you know, having talks about death. And he was, we just, it was really intense, amazing thing. So I called Andy, my friend, and I was like, hey, we got to do a Kathy Graham for this dude that I'm hanging out with. He's, like, not doing too well, and I feel like it would make him... Did he know how long he was going to be alive? Like, oh, you're going to be dead in three months? Or is it just kind of yeah. like at some point in the next year? No, it was like sometime in the next three months, you're probably not going to be around anymore. Wow. And he was super spiritual. So he he was kind of okay with it. He was at peace. He had done a lot of work. Mm-hmm. He wasn't fighting it. So we wrote this sweet little song, something about last romance. Yeah. Which was Asia and him. And then we went in and sang it to him. Because, you know, as Baha'is, we believe that, you know, when you pass away, it's like, there's awesome stuff coming, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we went and played it, and his family was not ready for that. They're all going like, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Everything's oh. going to be cool. You're going to be good. And we come in and sing like, it's okay. Like, everything is it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. okay. Which is pretty creepy and weird, I can you've, see. You've and if they're not ready for that. And so it was super awkward, but we just did it anyway. Yeah. And, and the three of us, me, him, and her, were all on the same page. Yeah. It was really sweet. It was really happy. Um, and the family was like, don't come back. Yeah. And kind of going through that process of writing. Wow. Were you were you like were you like fired at that point then? No. So at that point, um, it was kind of like the person who had hired me was the son. And the son, you know, was having a hard time dealing with it. So he kind of just couldn't look at it. Like he couldn't be around for it. He was just, you know, he was the only child of this man. And he was, he couldn't face it. So he sort of wasn't there for any of it. And the, you know, the guy's aunts or cousins or nieces or whatever were the ones in the room kind of like don't tell him it's okay to die it's not okay <laughs> he's gonna be fine that being said that was the way that we met was yeah. over this kind of well, just sidestepping a little bit like that is one of the truly saddest things i think about our contemporary culture is the 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 fear and misunderstanding about death the the denial of death the inability to talk about it or look at it when it's it's something that everyone has in common i mean literally no two human beings probably have anything in common other than the fact that they will sometime die yeah and uh it's uh it's it's such an integral part of life have you ever been afraid of it yeah i get afraid of it sometimes but you know as a baha'i i believe that you know when i'm called upstairs and i slough off this little human meat suit and um, (laughs) float away in whatever peculiar way that is that I haven't done everything that I can do with this life that I was Mm. given, that this gift of a life that I was given that I'm going to be answerable to Baha'u'llah, to God for my actions, for my choices. And I want to, I want to have a a conversation where I can stand tall. Sure. You know, I, I don't want to be, filled with shame and regret and remorse. And I think there's always going to be regret and remorse for, for you know, we could have done more uh, with our life. You know, I think there was a couple of decades there I'd really love to just <laughs> excise from my life and not, not look at. But it's, And that's why I love, you know, Justin Baldoni. Talking about My Last Days, that show we did on Soul Pancake is so powerful to really look at, hey, we can get, we can get lessons about life 
from looking at death. We can learn about yeah. how to live and why to live and purpose and connection and and God from looking at those last days of our life. So it's it's really a, it's an incredible opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've never been afraid of it. I guess because I was raised a Baha'i and I was always kind of told from a young age that uh, it's it's in, it's like incredible. There's the the story of the I think it was Abdul Baha who like showed one believer at one point like just a like a little glimpse of what it was like and then they, and then he killed himself. Is that Kitabi hearsay? Have you heard that? I've heard that story. I think it was Baha'u'llah, but I, yeah, I don't know. Not sure. That, I don't but know I grew that. up with these like these stories and ideas. So I you know anytime the plane shakes, I'm like, all right. Yeah, it's it's really not. It's very unsettling the way Andy. Like, I just am okay I'm with like, it. Oh my god, the car that car almost hit us. He's like, it would be okay. No, like, no, 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 not, not, no, no. I, I don't have a death wish by any means, but like, I'm not scared to die, and especially having my mom pass away and having her be wherever she's at. Now, since we're on this uh, light subject of death, yeah, I want to talk to you about that, Andy, because I remember uh, we were at. The Changing Times conference yes. in the Czech Republic. Totally, and wow. I was, I was, I don't know why I was there. You were there singing and being adored by the young Baha'is of of Luxembourg, and um, <laughs> uh, and that's right when your mom passed and yeah. you left. And I know at that, I, I want to get into your recording career and your journey and into that separately. But that was a huge transition for yeah. you. Um, a, a super powerful experience for you as a, as an artist and human being. You were so close to her. She was such a spiritual titan. You know, everyone yeah. who talks about Kathy Grammer is just like in yeah. awe of the service that she did and the and the joy she brought to people. So, you you talk about peace with your own life. Were you able to find peace about her loss, or was that a difficult transition? What happened in that mm. time? Peace doesn't even really come into it for me. Yeah, there's always been peace around it. I think it's just still really, it's just still really difficult. Um, yeah, the, the biggest thing, you know, you get sent tests. For me, I needed, I had a fairly easy childhood. Right? Like things came relatively easy to me. I was pretty good at sports, right? Like pretty easy to be around. Not like trying to sound like an asshole, but I'm just like. He was homecoming king. I was That's homecoming. It just, <laughs> it was just like pretty easy, right? Mm -hmm. So you'd see someone who was upset or hurt and you'd be like. I don't, I can't really connect to why you're hurt. I'm going to be a clown right now and try and cheer you up. Like, mm -hmm. that's what I know. But I don't have any understanding of why you would be that upset, you know. Mm -hmm. um, like empathy. Yeah, I didn't have true empathy. And so to get rocked uh, with losing my mom, that was really important to be like, oh, okay. I was the quiet guy at the table for like a year, which was super important. I remember... Yeah, so that was a grieving process. Yeah, totally. Just being being the quiet guy at the table and not trying to be the life of the party, not trying to make everybody laugh, just kind of like seeing the other side of the of life a little bit. How did it influence your art? Um, yeah, in that nobody wants to hear um, everything's awesome, yay, because no one feels that way really. They want to hear like life is super hard, and you know what? Keep your head up. Because it's that because it feels better to do that, and it's and it's a and it's a better way to live your life. Then everybody's like, totally, <laughs> I can get down with that guy. Just the, like the airy fairy guy that's like, life is amazing. Like I don't know if I buy that because it's it's not always that way. Mm. So to me, it was really grounding to to a lot of my art 
not that it has to be rooted in everything has to be rooted in pain, but just the tr the true reality of what a good song can do uh, can comes from 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 feeling like some some deeper grounded feeling. You know? mm. And my mom's death definitely did that for me. Did you feel a connection with her after she passed away? Did you feel any kind of like communication? Um, mm. I mean, obviously, you know, it's, like, yeah, like she yeah, spoke yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah it's like so that. interesting. These things are really funny. Like, are you creating them yourself or did it, did it actually happen? I definitely had a couple dreams of her after she passed away and they were just like, why aren't you praying? And I was like, geez, okay. <laughs> wow. am I, again, like, am I, am I doing that to myself or is she actually like, do you, when you go over or wherever you're going, do you get like one like phone call, like a prison phone call? Like, hey, you, you can make one call. And she's like, and I see she's like, not pray praying. more. Make sure, yeah, pray more. I just want to point out that your mom <laughs> crossed over from the other side into your dream to tell you to pray more. I know. Gosh, it's really intense. You should have said, no, I want lottery numbers. <laughs> <laughs> totally. What, yeah, when you look back, you're like, wow, that's pretty intense. Uh, what about you, Asia? Do you have any uh, thoughts on death? I know you became a Baha'i recently. Yeah. And um, did your feelings on death shift as, as after you became a Baha'i? You know, I so I haven't, I haven't had, like, a very close family member pass away. I've had friends or you know, a neighbor that I love or something like that. But I think um, I come from a, a Jewish background where like my grandparents were in the Holocaust and there's a very deep seated mentality in my genetic makeup that's like fearful of death or fear, fear of body, fear of like, I'm sick, something's wrong, you know? Bodily, inevitable bodily <laughs> yeah. decay. And I feel like um, I spent a lot of my life like trying to understand why, like, is that me or is that like some genetic thing? Because that was such a traumatic event that it like shook the blood, the like cells in our family. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I think my relationship with death is like, if I, if I know it would be coming for me, I would, I would, you know, do a lot of work around it to accept it and deal and try to be, have less attachment to it. But um, I definitely feel like Andy's at a further along place than I am with that. And and I don't know if that's just, yeah, like it's my genetic makeup a little that I'm trying to fix because we're so neurotic <laughs> on my side of the family. That's why it makes us a good team, really, in, in a nutshell, is I'm a little bit more like everything's going to be completely fine. He's not fine. super Don't worry safe about anything. Don't time. lock the doors. Everything's going to be fine. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's not like... He doesn't always think through to the, like, safest option. So he's like, sit on my shoulders when I ride my motorcycle. Yeah. Because everything's going to be fine. Yeah. I have made death a messenger of joy to be <laughs> yeah. That's not great. Yeah. Yeah, cool. But, like, you know, we should still get the insurance. <laughs> the life insurance is, like, still a smart move. tie up your camels. <laughs> tie up your camels. So going back to your relationship, um, what was that like, Andy, you were then dating uh, non-Baha'i Asia, did that cause any issues? What was that? What were those first conversations like? Ooh, fun. Good. Um, so I was pretty familiar with the Baha'i faith before we started dating. I was, I knew he was my buddy. So I, he, if you meet Andy, you know what the Baha'i faith is because it's very a part of his, you know, everything. Um, so I had been to devotionals at his house and I, I, it wasn't like I didn't know what it was. I was very familiar with it. Um, but 
I mean, definitely there were some like, uh, I'm sorry, wait, what is chastity? Like, come again. Could you, <laughs> could you explain no that? No pun intended. Sorry. <laughs> could you elaborate exactly on what you're talking about? Yeah. So that was like a fun topic because that wasn't um, something that I had been raised with. My, I'm from L.A. My family is very L.A. My dad went to Fairfax High. And, uh, you know, when I told my parents that we were going to get engaged or, you know, we were thinking about talking about getting engaged, my dad was like, don't you guys want to live together first? It seems really, like, uh-huh. not smart <laughs> to just... Mm-hmm. So I'm just coming from, like, a different... I was raised very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so the chastity thing was, like, Definitely something we had to overcome. I wrote her pretty awesome essay. He wrote me an essay. You wrote an essay about chastity? <laughs> yes, I'll show it to, to you. To your fiance? Yes. Oh, can we put that online? We weren't engaged yet. It was an essay. It literally had like a title page. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> by Andy Grammer. It said, why we wouldn't just do the damn thing by Andy Grammer. Yeah. I think, you know, when we talk about this this topic of like, what was it like? Even the word non-Baha'i to me is like, there's no better, like, there's no other way to say it, but it's hilarious to me. And I think that for us, it was a really good case of breaking down these barriers of what someone is. So for her, because I labeled myself a Baha'i, she thought that I was this pure, super Puritan that was like, had all these incredible morals. And I try to have as many as I can. (laughs) And I try to be a great person. Um, but there's not, it, it, I don't know, we just, we just like are, are finding each other through these glasses that we had of each other was really a sweet one where I'm going like, okay, so she doesn't call herself a Baha'i, but she does more service than anybody I know. How do I, how do I wrestle with that? What does that mean? Yeah, she has a glass of wine when we hang out, but she's like, it's the most, um, fruitful relationship spiritually that I've ever had and I've dated other Baha'is. So then what is what is what do these labels matter at all? And for her, she's going like, oh, he's not uh super boring, I guess. I thought he was <laughs> like you yeah. Was? yeah. What, what, what's your side? I thought you were like uptight. Yeah. I because I thought, oh, it's like all these rules, like yeah. you know. I think also the alcohol was a barrier for me because I like I said, I grew up my, pa- my family would, like, pour me a glass of wine at the dinner table when I'm, like, 19. That's just how I was raised. It's, you know, kind of European energy. It's very, like, free and whatever. Yeah. So... You said your dad's Tunisian? My dad... Yeah, my dad's from North Africa, Tunisia. But um, he was raised in L.A. here since he was a kid. And so he's... He kind of looks, like, mixed. Like, if you saw him walking down the street, you'd probably be like, that guy's mixed. He has cornrows at the moment. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, Tunisia is a French state, so we're Fr- I'm a French citizen as well. And, uh, yeah, so it was just a little bit of a, you know, like the same mentality in some ways, in a lot of ways that overlapped, but uh, from very different upbringings. And so I, I think it's very, it's very interesting about, you know, if you're young behind, like, who do I want to date? Who am I looking into? What, you know? Uh, it's just, it's, it's, we all have so many things that we're, uh, that we're going through dealing with, struggling with our good parts about our bad parts about ourselves. And I think a lot of times we can get cut off from other people. Yeah. Things that are not that important. Yeah. Like I know a lot of Baha'is that I feel like, uh, wouldn't date someone that's not a Baha'i. Like they wouldn't mm. even go, they wouldn't even, 
They just would be like, I'm just not going to get started there. And I feel like that's, I mean, from my perspective, I feel like that's doing yourself a big disservice because you don't know where someone's in, you don't know where someone is in their spiritual journey. You don't know where someone is in their, you know, they may have done a lot more work than you, but have never, have never heard of certain things. And so they've never been exposed to it. And, and that shouldn't, um, I feel like a, a married couple is on a spiritual journey together and they're supporting each other's spiritual and physical journey through this life and emotional journey. And um, whether they're a Baha'i or not, as long as you're familiar with their character yeah. and you're on the same path, it's so not important. My wife didn't become a Baha'i until we were married for over 10 years. Yeah. Really? And um, wow. and it was re really the Ruhi uh, series of books that really changed her mind about the Baha'i faith when she was started sitting down and really learning the quotes and working with a really diverse room of loving, incredible, yeah. fun Baha'is. And uh, we did the first two books and that's right when she had our son and, and she was like, she had kind of some mystical experiences and uh, some really powerful things happen. And, um, but it really was, I know there's a lot of Ruhi kind of doubters out there still in the Baha'i community, <laughs> but I've, I've seen it work firsthand so many times. Yeah. There's nothing better than just sitting down in a circle and studying the word of God. Did you do Ruhi classes? I did. Um, I felt so at that point, you know, Andy's like kind of known in the Baha'i community here in LA. So I felt always like a little bit of pressure just to like, I just wanted to like learn about it with everyone to back off a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Everyone so, back off. Asia, what do you think? Yeah, I'm like, why don't you just back the F off? <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I didn't feel like I wanted to do that here with people in this community until I sort of had my own feelings about it. So I actually did it via Skype. You did Skype Ruhi? I did Skype Ruhi every Scoohy? Sunday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> with some... Um, Scoohy. I did Scoohy with a Baha'i from Wilmette and a Baha'i from Wisconsin. And the three of us got on group Skype every week. And we did it on Sunday morning. That's so awesome that you had the willingness, though, to dig in. To, like, yeah. to say, you know, I'm going to explore this and get to know it because I really care yeah. about this guy. I wanted to do it like... I don't know. For some reason, I wanted to learn about it, but I wanted it to be on my... I just wanted a clean slate. Yeah. And there were, there were people that I didn't know. And it was like... I was just like this new person on the other side of the country. I didn't come with any... Right. You know, attachment or... And it was great. And those people I still talk to and... Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So what was that like becoming a Baha'i? So I've been... Uh, it's funny. I know it's been a long process. It's been a long, arduous, slow some struggles, journey. some, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think for me, um, the way that I was raised is very, so I'm ethnically Jewish. My mom was raised Catholic and then kind of, they got out of Catholicism and came, they moved to LA and they sort of got into the new agey, spiritual, whatever, the mucky muck of LA. And, um, and then now my dad is like a Buddhist and wants to talk about Buddhism and is very like, he would always take me to the ashram here in LA. And so to me, uh, the Baha'i faith wasn't that far of a jump because I had been raised to have 
understanding. Well, it has aspects of all of those yeah. things. It's got a lot of Buddhism yeah. thrown in. It's kind of a, yeah, absolutely. a, a, a jambalaya of yeah. uh, New Age and Buddhism with some Catholicism and Judaism. Yeah. Abrahamic so, stuff. So I thought, you know, if um, when I started learning about the Baha'i Faith and it was like kind of the cacophony of all of these teachings in, you know, put together and, and they're sort of like, you know, in succession of each other. I, it wasn't that foreign of a concept to me because that's kind of what I, we just didn't have a name for it, but, but that's what, how I was raised. So I didn't see the need to, I just had an issue with the label, but it, it sort of was a bit ridiculous because if you looked at what I, the way that I was living was very in align, very much in alignment with the Baha'i teachings. Um, I already had made the decision prior in my life that I didn't want to drink alcohol anymore. So that wasn't like a piece of it. Um, you know, we, we like were, we abstained, you know, from having sex until we got married. So that was like not a piece of it. Um, so in a lot of ways I had already kind of, I've been already living my life that way, but I just couldn't, I don't know. I just didn't want the label for some reason. Sure. But there's a lot of that right now. Yeah. I think that's very culturally prevalent prevalent people are like oh i just don't want to be a part of an organized religion sure and i don't want to sign my name on a card or i don't want to be like a card carrying member of a thing or just identify like sure. i am this um especially in kind of secular los angeles where it's it's all about the search it's all about the quest and you can find some truth in this yoga class and you can find some truth in this <laughs> meditation practice and you can find some truth uh, yeah. by going to this you know, church choir or, or, yeah. or whatever it is. And it's, it's very understandable. I mean, I think it's a, a reaction to centuries of what are you? Well, I'm a Methodist or I'm a yeah. Baptist or I'm an Anabaptist or I'm a, I'm a reformed Jew or, sure. you know, and it's these labels. I think there's also just a lot of, un yeah, like a, a kind of a tide of understanding what man has done wrong with religion. And if you're not attached to a group, then you can't be a part of that thing that has been done terrible. Yeah, I think there's that. I also think that there's this piece that um, somehow we feel like family, like our religion ties us to our family. Like that makes us like a, a clan, you mm -hmm. know? And so there was this piece of like, oh, am I leaving my family behind or am I, am I like disassociating from them in some way? And I think at some point, what one of the factors that sort of switched me over was my mom. I hadn't, I had never used the phrase, I'm a Baha'i. And my mom sort of said something to me like, oh, well, blah, 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 because you're a Baha'i. Like, and I, and you know, well, you don't do that because you're a Baha'i. And I realized that I was already <laughs> being perceived that way anyways, regardless of if I was putting the label on or not. So really what's the effing difference like you're if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck but it wants to call itself a chicken then like <laughs> go ahead chicken we'll call you a chicken that's the best spiritual yeah. metaphor ever but what did you love about the baha'i faith what attracted your heart to it the most um i really like i have a personal connection to the writings and what i really liked about the baha'i faith was it's centered on the writings and the teachings and not the figure. I don't, for me, that was a big piece of it. It's not about, um, it's not pictures of Baha'u'llah. Yeah. It's not about like the icon of the guy mm -hmm. who said the thing. 
where I feel like in some other religions, a lot of the focus gets put on that. And then it's like, I have hard hard time connecting to it because I, I don't know that guy and I didn't see him and I'm like, who's that guy? But for me, the Baha'i faith is really all about the writings. And when I see how people are putting it into practice, they're having like study circles and they're doing Ruhi and they're doing devotionals. And it's, it's all about like, hey, let's dig into this quote or let's talk about what this um, prayer is about. And that is, you kind of, it's for me, I, I felt like, well, you can't really argue with that because it's like, it's universal truths. And when I read that, I agree with what he's saying. So, so there's no, there's no discrepancy here for me as opposed to the, when it's so much the focus about the guy, whoever mm-hmm. that guy is. And it's all, it's like pictures everywhere. And I, I, it feels a little bit like, yeah, but like the point of the guy was what he's talking about. So why is that not all over the ball? You know? Right. You feel that way sometimes. I feel that way with Christianity sometimes is what Christ said was, is important in Christianity. Right. But it's not really the most important thing. Right. There's all of these other kind of uh, dogmas and, and uh, ceremonies yeah. and belief systems and hierarchies and well this is the father son and the holy sure. ghost and the arisen son and the you know kind of some catchphrases that jesus didn't even say um so uh, uh yeah i yeah and the same thing could be said for judaism i feel like um it's a little less focused on maybe you know one of the prophets and more about like the tradition and it's all about the ritual and the tradition and you know because i went to hebrew school and i was taught to read and write Hebrew and and it was like all about say something in Hebrew um shalom uh, uh you're fail. stressing me out right now I don't know can you sing uh keep your head up in Hebrew um I'll give you 50 bucks like how about this Baruch okay <laughs> but it's great because you get to say to your mom like hey, I'm Jewish and I'm a Baha'i you yeah. say to your dad I'm Buddhist and I'm a Baha'i yeah and you get to say to both of them I'm new agey, yeah, you know, spiritual, and I'm a Baha'i. I feel like Judaism will always be my ethnicity. Mm-hmm. That's where I come from. That's my heritage. That's like, there's foods that go along with Judaism. And there's like, you know, we do Pesach and we do the like prayers with the, it's, it's my, it's my history, my culture. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I'll ever not be Jewish. But Baha- Baha'is have foods too. It's called potluck. Yeah. yeah. Potluck style. Lots of rice. I was a Baha'i growing up in the 70s, and you probably remember this in the 80s when you grew up, like, just all the potlucks. So much it's like, potluck. come on with the potlucks. A lot of potluck. Wow. <laughs> it was East Coast potluck, so it was like tortellini and stuff. It was good. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, mine was West Coast white trash potluck, <laughs> so it was tater tot casserole. <laughs> oh, gross. And mac and cheese. And tater- well, tuna, yeah, no, no, no. Tuna it, it, casserole. Yeah, like, yeah, it was cas- casseroles for sure. And hot dogs. Hot dogs and, like, lasagna. So, Asia... Um, you're a singer. Yeah. You're a songwriter. Mm-hmm. You write songs for yourself and your band. You've tried several different kind of styles of music yeah. I've heard over the years. Uh, you act as well. You audition and, and act in TV and film and, and theater as well. And um, so what was that like uh, being an artist and then um, becoming a Baha'i? And I'm just wondering if it influenced you at all or was it just kind of more of the same on the same journey? What's that link between creating beautiful music and uh and spirituality sure um 
I definitely feel like I do. So I do a lot of co-writing with other artists and other writer producers where sometimes I'm writing for the other person. So they'll throw me in with like an engineer that's maybe 50 and a 16 year old girl. And I'm sort of there to bridge the gap and try to pull out what they have to say. So I feel like, um, part of how that's influenced me is I don't, I'm not willing to say like, I'm not willing to talk about content that's really like empty. Um, and while sometimes you'll get in the room with someone and that's their experience and they don't really have that much to say. And so it ends up being a little bit vapid maybe like there's, there's a difference between like vapid material and material that's like not ethically aligned with what I feel. And so I feel like the Baha'i faith has sort of shaped me in that way. I had a, um, a co-write recently, just like what I said, which was with a, a bunch of guys and a young girl. And um, the girl was young and kind of didn't really, she wasn't really very sure of herself. And she was just kind of like blowing whichever way the wind in the room went. And the guys kept um, suggesting these lyrics that were very like sexual, but like overly sexual. And she was young and I just didn't feel like it just wasn't her vibe. It wasn't what she was putting off. It wasn't, she didn't look comfortable with it. And so I kept like going like, mm, how about this instead? And then finally it was like at a point where I felt like I had to sort of, I was like, Hey, what you guys are suggesting is like really super kind of sexist. She's under 18. This is all messed up. Like I'm not doing this. So if you want me here, then I'm leaving or we have to like get this kind of online. I don't know if that's like, I might've said that five years ago or more before I was a Baha'i, but I feel like the Baha'i faith has sort of like tuned me in with what I'm comfortable and not comfortable with. And I don't really give a crap if it looks bad. I'll just say it because that's not in alignment with what I am about. That's awesome. <laughs> I, you know, this is why I sound like a grumpy old man. I think like so many lyrics in pop music today. I mean, if you just look at the lyrics, forget the production and the melodies, which are amazing. Sure. And, yeah, things can sound like really sure. super fresh, but my God, the lyrics are just, just, just read them. Yeah. And everything is just Pretty lowest true. common denominator, yeah. bassist, shallowest. It's just, yeah. it's body and hookups and, or yeah. it's, or it's violence or it's ego. It's just kind of the worst of humanity coming out in pop music. And that's why I, and that's me as a grumpy, I'm 50 years old. So, I guess. Although, you know, in the 70s when I grew up, you know, we were listening to like yeah. Van Halen and Billy Squire singing Stroke Me, Stroke Me. Exactly, and, and exactly. Let's get down tonight. So it's not that the lyrics were like all so, yeah. you know, really great back then. But so Andy, you do that as a pop singer. Um, that's, that's demeaning to say you're a pop singer, isn't it? Is it? No. No. You do. That's okay to yeah. say? I think okay. It's okay. I was afraid all of a sudden I was like, is he going to punch me? No, no. It's all right. Because um, it's popular music. What's what's your take on this too? Because like sometimes you want to write a song about a sexual, like, you know, that's happening in people. It's like an experience that people are having, you know? And so so the high version is like, let's get it on yeah. with my wife. <laughs> baby. So I made a deal myself. I mean, this is the line that you're always dealing with, right? Is yeah, is yeah. how do you represent yourself as a Baha'i, but then not take yourself so seriously that you can't make some real art. 
because if, if I, you know, I've had this, I'm, I know you had Laylee on your show, me and her go at it pretty consistently in the most loving way. She's like, I love her to death and I respect her so much. So her opinion like really counts when we talk and I'm on this, I err on the side of go after what's true, your true experience first and with all your flaws and everything and then deal with uh, sharing that later mm-hmm. and see what, you know, who is this really hurting? Let's weigh it that out, out, you know. Um, I just think that if you, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear what your, what your opinion is. It's a little bit different as an actor, right? Because you're playing someone. It's a little less autobiographical sometimes. Like for me, uh, I had a big breakthrough song on my last record called Holding Out where I wrote a song about waiting until marriage to have sex. And for me, it was like the only chance I have to actually do this as a real piece of art is to tell the true, honest story. And the line that came out first writing that song was a little bit of prayer, a little bit of porn. And you're like, all right, well, that's, there's something that feels wonderful about just being super honest. So I wrote it out. And then I, but while I was writing that song, I'm like, man, is this okay? Are there going to be a lot of like Baha'i children that are going to be really upset? Are the parents going to like ban Andy Grammer records because he, uh, he's sharing this? I'd like to have a CD burning, a Baha'i CD burning burning of Andy (laughs) Grammer's like, but I, yeah, he was really stressed out about it. We had but to, like, but it really it. helped me because I don't, we're not, it's not helping if we're lying. Art is supposed to like make people look at things different. They're supposed to feel like, oh, you get it too, right? And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of bashing that goes on about like Christian rock or something like that. And I, there are bands in the Christian rock zone and the only reason I say Christian rock is because that's the only, my only reference point to, to music that is overly spiritual. Um, the point of music is, is, is to relate. So, the, you know, in interviews, the thing I always say is like Newton um, wrote out what gravity was. Apple fell on his head. He did the mathematical equation to write it out. And then everyone's like, yes, this is happening to me every single day. Everywhere I go, gravity's happening. You nailed it. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever read. Because this is like the most um, essential piece of my life you wrote out in a, form, in, in, in a form. And so for me, that's what songwriting is supposed to be. You're supposed to get what the true experience is. And if I am too worried about how I'm coming across, my art will blow chunks. And so I don't want my art to blow chunks. I also don't want anyone who's listening to not be... Uh, not feel connected with me. And the more I'm finding that I dive into my flaws, the more the connection and the more the ear leans in. And so that balance between how do I still uphold a standard um, and not just go like, cool, it's everybody, it's fine. Go watch porn. And he said, it's great. Just do it. Like <laughs> As that, long as I pray. As long as I pray. Like, that's totally not what I'm saying. Um, but I have to figure out how to be honest about my, my process. Like, well, to be honest, have, you, 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 honey, I'm good is a song about basically saying like, you know, I've got a woman that I love at home, so I'm not going to hang out with you, totally, waitress, because I could get myself into trouble. And I imagine there was some controversy around that. Uh, you want to know the biggest controversy for me was that I also don't. I live my life as a Baha'i in the world, and I don't go around in every turn being like, uh, oh, I'm not doing this because I'm a Baha'i or. Um, I just live my life 
in this world that has the way it works. So, you know, there's a line in Honey, I'm Good. It's like, I could have another, but I probably should not. To me, that's a passage of time that everybody deals with. It's like, should I stay? For me, it's a soda water. Do I want another soda water with lime or not? I know that's going to be taken by many people. Do you want another alcoholic beverage? But I don't have time in music to be like, I could have another Perrier, but I probably should. Like, I can't. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell my truth. And, and, and then let the world take it. Uh, it. It is a point. You can see I get, I get intense about it because like, it's very interesting. I think that I, ha- I, I get very intense about truth, whether that, whether that makes me look bad or not. Your dad's a singer-songwriter, kids' yeah. music yeah. mostly, yes. family music. <laughs> what was that like growing up with him? Did he inspire your quest for truth in pop music? Mm. I don't think that he inspired. He inspired many other things. Um, I don't think he liked that line in that song. Either. He did. He never liked holding. Holding out's not his favorite song. No, <laughs> he can't get it. He's like, ah, uh, you lost me there. And I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Like for certain people, that's okay. Um, what he did inspire was a love of bringing a room together. Both my parents knew how to do that. The process of writing something alone in your room and then watching it become something that everybody can sing together. He inspired, I mean, I pretty much stole everything from him. So I can say that. But but as far as like the quest for truth, um, I think, you know, we're all figuring that out. And there's a lot of Baha'i artists on the front line of like, how do you create something that is real uh, and then still be a role model while being brutally honest? That's a That's a dance for sure. Yeah, I've, it's something I've struggled with. I've had a lot of Baha'is get very mad at me at some of the things that I've done and, and said. And, um, you know, like swearing is something that I do way too much. Yeah. And I just have held on to it from my from my decade as when I left the faith. And sure. maybe it's the one vice I allow myself, but I, I, I shouldn't. But... I, I really, it really came to me about a year ago on Twitter. I'm like, man, I'm way too foul on Twitter. And if there's 14-year-old Baha'is totally. listening in Mesa, Arizona, then I really need to be more of a of a standard holder. And um, uh, I don't want to sound all goody two-shoes, but I, I like to keep it real. It's that weird balance of... This is the thing. This is, the, this is, this is I, and I've said it many times. I'll just say it again. The problem is, is that art is supposed to... Is, is, there's no supposed to. The art that I love that I love to watch, that I love to listen to, that I love to see, is the stuff that relates to me, mm-hmm. right? So if, if we go make some sort of Baha'i art that it, it, it is like this idealistic thing, it, you can't relate to it because it's not what everybody's going through. The whole, the whole thing of like, you're not supposed to be just a monk on the top of a hill that's like, I'm away from it, I'm not dealing with it. The hard part is like, yeah, go into the world and mess with this stuff and get fight through it, you know, and maybe it's not perfect all the time, but that is the, the whole thing. My thing is in a, in a writing room when someone says something like a line that is oh, uh, maybe too aggressive or drops an F-bomb, it is now on, the, when I get stressed out is when it feels great, <laughs> right? When they say a line that's aggressive, but like I connect to, then I'm like, oh man, I need to beat that somehow without using the F word. Which is hard because the F word has so you know what I mean. You, you, you dropped an F bomb on Baha'i blog. I just did. I know. I, this is, the, this is so. the issue: is that you're like we're constantly trying to be a part of the world while being not a part of it. 
and and that that is as a part yeah. of art as well. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I probably in my life right now I'm leaning a little too far. We we mm-hmm. cuss. There's a lot of bad words in this house. Yeah, we need to but there's no alcohol, so hey, <laughs> you win some, you lose some. Uh, how do you guys? Uh, how do you write? How do you write a song? Um, I think it's different. Is it a riff or a lyric? It, you, or an idea? For me, I usually do lyric and melody together because I think certain melodies don't go with certain concepts. Like if you're playing something and it feels super happy, you're not going to write like a, a sad breakup song over that. Unless you want to, for the effect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I do them together. I don't know. How about you? I, uh... I very rarely start at the piano anymore. It's like almost always in the studio. Like it starts with the production. Yeah. I think a lot, a lot of times for me, it's uh, you just, you have a, have a lot of notes in both areas. So you have notes about concepts, words that make you feel interesting, uh, dealing with whatever you're, whatever I'm going through. And then you have a lot of musical things. So you, uh, a guitar riff, piano riff, a beatbox or something like that. And then you get together and you put them, you start kind of. How do you sing and beatbox at the same time? I don't think that's possible. Well, there's like one guy, Razel, right? Razel does no, it. No, you do it. I, well, no. You I go mean, like, you go like, <laughs> just like that, yeah. Do a little beatboxing part. <laughs> There we go. On the blue mic. Crush it. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Boom. Um, I do want to get to uh, a couple other things before we wrap this up. Um, Andy, your story is incredible. The story of you playing at the Third Street Promenade and sometimes making taking home eight bucks. Totally. Sometimes taking home 80 and sometimes taking home 300, mm-hmm. but just never knowing what you're... You're studying songwriting, working your butt off for so long. There was so much perseverance about your story as an artist. And I especially love the story about how you wrote the song, Keep Your Head Up. Can you just talk to the audience a little bit about that? I I think uh, perseverance is a great spiritual virtue that I really connect with as well. And I'd love to hear about how you went through that. There's very few people that have found international pop stardom yeah from the uh, promenade starting from street busking yeah you know it's so interesting like it's yeah what's really funny I just had a conversation yesterday with and I've been what I'll I'll give the real so super side note I'm also the way that I when, when someone tells me all these accolades in the Baha'i faith I have all these different friends that are of different um backgrounds and colors and stuff like that so it, it is interesting for me to hear that uh and then like have these awesome conversations with one of our good friends about like i'm also super privileged <laughs> right so i deal with that on a daily basis i'm a white man so yes yes but i still work super hard uh on the street and yeah man i think that it's just about finding it all comes down to service it's like how am i providing you a service and the love for doing that through music is an addiction that I have. And I've had it since I was really little with my dad when he would invite me up on stage to sing at his kids' shows. And I would wait and then try to really deliver my line and make the crowd What happen. would you sing on those kids' shows? Uh, Fish to Catch was my line. Okay, go ahead. Sing it. <laughs> I would just wait, stand in the back, and then I'd step forward and go like, Fish to Catch! And then I'd step back. 
and I'd be like... But didn't he have you come up and actually, like, sing and show off your little golden pipes? I, well, that was really, that was my opportunity. And then we would, on the on the uh, ride home... In the this mini- is a real story, thing. In the ride home on, in the minivan, I looked to my dad and I was like, kind of the way that your boss brings you in after, you know, to like talk about <laughs> something. I'm sitting with my dad and I'm like, um, I'm going to need to be a, big, uh, a bigger part of your show. <laughs> he said that. Yeah. And Red brings it up all the time because he actually said And then that. I was also like, and this is kind of, I don't know even how to feel about this, but I think I was seven and I was kind of like looking out the window going like, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be bigger than you. Wow. Bold, right? And my dad was like, and we, he talks about it and he goes like, I mean, it's this weird balance of like, of course you want your son to say that, but also like, you're a little brat right now. <laughs> Just shut up. Your weight privilege. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, like, you gotta chill days. out, bro. Um, so I think really, like to answer your question, the perseverance came from this desire to be of service. And in music, what that means is when you start playing music, the listener is giving you a service. All right, so I'm playing, and I you're not really doing anything for me, but you seem like a nice guy, and now my ears are giving you this this time and energy. And being out on the street for over four years, you start to see, like, all right, well, when I play my own music, you're doing me the service. When I play Sunday Morning by Maroon 5, that's the one thing I have where I'm now doing you a service. And I can feel that shift occur, and people stop, and everything's cool. So now it's like, okay, I feel that. Now I just have to figure out how to write songs to now still be giving you the service. And that long process led to, uh, you know, writing, writing, keep your head up and then writing my first album, which was basically the first batch of songs I'd ever written that were now providing a service for people. Whenever, every once in a while, we'll get like young songwriters or kids that are trying to break into the music industry and they'll ask for advice. And that's like the one thing that we always try to say is... How can you figure out how for you to be sending me your music is not me doing you a service by like listening to it? Can you find a way that you're like reaching people because you're you're offering something other than like, hey, can you listen to my 20 songs that I wrote and give me advice? Like, how do you switch that? And, and you know, even for it goes beyond the music. I remember I was working in a club called The Viper Room just because. It was kind of, it kind of had a name that was cool. So I would go do something. I would go book these acoustic nights, which was basically just a small room that could fit 15 people so that I could say that I worked at the Viper Room. So when I meet somebody in LA, I go, I'm not just this annoying person. I'm like, oh, I can offer you like, you know, you got any music? Now I can be in the scene and have something to offer. How can, how can you be of service is like step one in how to do, in how to do this. That's great. And what happened with uh, Keep Your Head Up was there was a specific day that that inspiration came to you, right? Oh yeah, totally. So I just gone through a whole day of of no tips, which is a very long day. That's like eight hours of being, being out there. And it was like a little bit rainy. And so no one was feeling generous and you're just kind of out there with radio silence, just like playing and people just walking by. No one cares. Um, so then I packed up all my stuff and looked up to the sky and was just like, your move. You know, my mom had just recently passed away. A fairly rainy day street performing. And I legitimately looked up at the, at, at the sky and just said, I'm not leaving. So your move. Like, I'll be here tomorrow. And, uh, and then I went home and wrote, keep your head up. Yeah, it's awesome. And was it a? Was it a lyric, a song, a melody that came into your head around that? Um, no, it was, it was like, man, I, I could really use a, a pick-me-up right now. Well, I guess I'll, write, I'll try to write one for myself, you know. Mm. That's kind of how it works. It's beautiful. Yeah. 
What do you guys love the most about being married? Mm. Being married is like a slumber party every day. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. That's what I always tell people. Like, it's like a slumber party every day. That feels like a quote you'd see on Pinterest. Yeah, I totally. Think, I think, uh, That's what it is. Yeah, it's, it's great to, to have your best friend around all the time. I think we're also... Wait you know, until he gets older and starts snoring. Totally. <laughs> and people always ask us, like, man, how do you do it? He's gone a lot. And they, they give you that, the, like, the slow breath in, like... Are you okay? Are you going to be okay? How do you do it? Well, and I travel a lot, too, so we're kind of always in different places. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions. Is that it's one of the things that keeps it really, really exciting, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm. Is, uh, you know, like, right now the schedule for me is that I'm gone pretty much on the weekends, and I'm home during the week. So when I come back on Monday, it's like, I love you. I miss you. I haven't seen you. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think for me, one of the best parts of being married is that there's a lot of things she's incredible at that I'm horrible at. Like this house, for example. You know, you just showed up at our house. I would have never got. I would never gotten this house. I would have never cared about the tiles. I would have never done any any of this. And now when I come off tour and I'm home, I'm just so grateful that I have somebody who's who's cares about stuff like this. Yeah. I think for me, Andy's like really good at a lot of the things that I'm crappy at. So um, while he's naming like house things, which is really sweet, thank you. <laughs> I think like I could be, I can be very um, judgy and Andy's really like taught me and, and the faith has taught me how to sort of not do that because it's not helping anything. And also just um, his sort of like carefreeness everything will work out, everything's fine, like his sort of leave the doors unlocked mentality. I I need a little bit of that because I can be a little, up, like, just a little, like, nervous about this. <laughs> you know, I'm, like, cautious. <laughs> I'm careful. And he, like, kind of lightens me up. Just nervous. All That's beautiful. Yeah. So question I ask uh, everyone is, well, I try to remember to ask everyone, uh, is what is your favorite Baha'i quote or saying Totally. Can I look? Can I look this one up? This is my favorite. I, the yeah. fact that it's my favorite, and I don't know it offhand, is a little bit disconcerting. It's the one about envy. It's the um, it's the hidden word about envy. I could butcher it, but I might as well just bring it up here. It's interesting to find quotes or writings or readings that actually you can feel them help you in the moment. And so this one for me is, "Oh, son of earth." No, verily, the heart wherein the least remnant of envy yet lingers shall never attain my everlasting dominion, nor inhale the sweet savors of holiness breathing from my kingdom of sanctity. I, I actually don't think I'm a very jealous person, but I am in a career that lends itself to being jealous about many different things or an opportunity somebody gets that you're like, how did they get that? And I, I feel it, you know, and so this quote for me, I read it consistently and I can actually feel the envy drop off me. Um, and it just helps to remind me that like, oh, I'm all stressed out about this and I'm 100% in the wrong mind space. I don't need to worry about it. I mean, it goes, we're in the least remnant of envy at lingers. Remnant to me is you've already cleared it all out. Like you've scraped it clean, but there's still like a drip there. And, and, and you know, he's saying like that, even that, not cool. So this one really helps me. Asia? Yeah. Okay. So I feel like this isn't the most exciting quote because a lot of people know it, but every time it just applies to everything for me, which is, um, where there is love, nothing is too much trouble and there is always time. And every single time I try to find a situation that that doesn't apply, it's just always applies. 
<laughs> and um, I also really like that quote because for me, I coming from like not being raised Baha'i, I really like quotes that I feel like um, are e- easily reachable for people that aren't Baha'is. And I feel like that one in particular is really like a, a nice, gentle, like, here's what we're about. And, and also like, it's very clear about its message. Um, and I also think, I don't know, it just, it gets me out of whatever pity party thing I don't want to do and just goes like, yeah, but if where there's love, like there's time. So just make it work and suck it up. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of been like the quote that's prevalent, prevalent in our house. Yeah. And, and so we're going to, you want us to sing that quote right now? Shall we? First, what, wow. first what has to happen is the obligatory uh, argument that we have about what key it's in. And she gets yeah. really, really frustrated. So well, we played this song about, I don't know, 835 times. And Andy doesn't ever remember what key it's in. <laughs> so he starts in a key that's really comfortable for his voice. Right. As a man. Okay. And I'm... So you're like, where there's yeah. love. And he doesn't really ask. He just like sort of starts playing and then we're in front of people in, in a weird key. <laughs> I, I first heard you guys uh, play this song at Justin Baldoni's wedding. Yeah. And I think you wrote it for that, right? Was that, was that the first time you played it? Actually, we wrote it for our wedding. Oh. And we did it at our wedding, which was, uh, I think... It's we, funny. I, I never got that invitation. What didn't. happened with that? Oh, it must have gotten lost in the mail. This has gotten lost. Huh. Yeah, we did it at our wedding, and um, and it worked, and that was kind of the first try, and then, and then we did it just All right, so we're in Andy Grammer and Asia's kitchen at a, uh, <laughs> at a kitchen island. Where uh, there is love. And uh, we're just moving right into a little music session right here without even cutting. This is how how we roll. Just right next to the fridge. All right. There's a baby in here. Time, 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 time. There is always time, time, time. Oh. 
just gorgeous. Thanks so much, Andy Grammer and Asia. Thanks for talking with me. Thank the you. best. Awesome. You know who you should do is my dad. You done my dad, Red Grammer. No. Red Grammer's the he's the real deal. He's a good one. He's a good nice, one. good idea. Yeah, you good should idea. interview him. Yeah. He'd be super into this. Bye, everybody. Bye. Red, I'm gonna call you. Thanks for listening to Baha'i Blogcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode and the conversation. Check out more fun Baha'i stuff on Baha'iBlog.net. Thank you so much 